like to read one verse of scripture tonight from this third chapter of Malachi. That verse is verse number six. For I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Notice the emphasis. I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. It's in my heart in these services. And I have reached a place in life where it's right for me just to preach what comes into my heart. And it's in my heart to say some things about some of God's precious promises. Last night, from Isaiah 43 and verse 2, I preached on a promise for our pilgrim journey. The Lord said, Though you pass through the water, or when you passes through the water, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. They were passing through, and they were walking through. It was a journey. The Lord gave a promise for our pilgrim journey. Tonight, I'd like to use this great text in which the Lord magnifies his unchangeableness, or what is sometimes referred to as God's immutability. And I would use this great text tonight as a promise for Changing times. A promise for changing times. Well, I'm going to take just a moment to brief our hearts about the setting of the prophecy of Malachi. It has sometime been placed together with Nehemiah and Ezra. Because... Malachi wrote to that post-captivity era. Temple worship had been reestablished, so we gather the temple has been rebuilt. And so Ezra talks about the building of the temple. Nehemiah talks about the building of the walls. And when we come to Malachi, we see that worship has been reinstated. However, There are still many needs. There are still many areas that are deficient. It seems as though there's more of, of a ceremonial approach than a heartfelt approach. They're going through the motions. They're following what has been 
set before them as God's ancient laws. But it is basically formalism. Along with it, there's a lot of hypocrisy. They're doing the right thing, but they're doing it from uh, a vain motive and from an, an, uh, an attitude that is not fixed on pleasing God. I'm not going to get into the various uh, statements and the various rebukes, but the Lord has magnified the fact that They've polluted the temple, his place of worship. It's not a, a holy place as it should be. When we come to chapter 3 in this era of changing times, Malachi gives a prophecy that is yet 350 plus years away. He predicts that God is going to send his messenger or his spokesman. We believe it is a messianic prophecy. He's referring to Christ. And uh, John the Baptist will pre prepare the way for him. And uh, then Christ will come. He also talks about judgment. And dealing with those who are half-hearted and flippant in their attitude. But in the middle of all of these warnings and, and hopes that the Messiah will come, the Lord said, I, I hope you understand why I have not already consumed you. He said, it's not because you have not changed and it's not because the worship services have not changed there have been a lot of changes. But he said, I have not changed. For I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So it's in my heart tonight to magnify this promise for changing times. Do you not agree that we live in an era where many go through the motions. But it seems as though it is mere formalism, ceremonialism. And it's without heart. It's without enjoyment. And uh, I believe that here is a word that should encourage us in changing times. I change not, the Lord said. Now, let's, let's look at this entire text as we refer to it as a whole, as a promise. A promise for changing times. First of all, let me point out that God indicates in the text that he is unchanging or immutable in his awesomeness. He said, I am the Lord. Before he indicated that he doesn't change, he again revealed who he is. I am the Lord. This, of course, is 
the great Old Testament name for Jehovah. I am Jehovah. Or transliterated Yahweh. Uh, it is the name that indicates that God is self-existent. He exists in and of himself. Now, everything else that exists, exists as a result of dependency upon God. Angels, for instance, get their source of life from God himself. And human beings, though we often seem to uh, not uh, manifest that we realize it, our existence is in his hands. Uh, he can cut off the supply of life at any time. In fact, he said that he holds the keys of death and of hell. Uh, death is not something that catches God unaware. But he holds the keys to that door. So when, the, when he says, I am the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is often the way the names of God are distinguished in the Old Testament. There is a name, capital L, Little o, little r, little d. That name seems to indicate owner or possessor. But when you see it all capitalized, it's the great name for Jehovah. The God who leans on nothing. The God who needs no props and needs no assistance. He's the self-existing one. I might add, someone might ask the question, well, how did he get in such a position? Well, he's the self-exalting one. He put himself in that position as Lord. Nobody voted him in. He was Lord before anybody else came along. He was Jehovah. And so we're confronted with his unchanging nature in his awesomeness. He's in a class all to himself. He's in a category, a world, uh, all alone. The unchanging, self-existent God. Uh, it would go a step farther. Not only do we see his awesomeness in his name, I am the Lord. Secondly, in this promise for changing times, we see that our God is not only unchanging in his awesomeness, but he is unchanging in his attributes. I am the Lord, and I indicate that means self-existent. Uh, he exists in and of himself. And that in, that in its own right magnifies his character or his attributes. But then he says, I change not. Amen. This in itself is an attribute of God. He's saying, I am unchanging. 
I am immutable. Uh, I have no alterations in my being. I am the same. I have no variations. Uh, he is the unchanging God. And because he is unchanging, everything about him is unchanged. Let me just emphasize a couple of attributes in his divine character. May I point out the attribute of God's government never changes. He sits upon the circle of the earth. There may be those who have ruling positions in this world. Uh, you take the, uh, the question has been uh, in recent days about some of our judges keeping permanent positions of office. And uh, uh, we know that in many cases those change upon age and perhaps even sickness or death and many other offices, political offices, educational offices and uh, leadership roles change with time. But God says when it comes to the divine character there is no change. I change not. I have nothing about me that changes. My government is established. That's perhaps the, uh, the strong element of God's nature, that he is in control. But what about his grace? Why, his grace is unchanging as well. Amen. His government has to do with who he is, his grace one of his great attributes has to do with his dealings with us. It, it can be manifested in us and to us. And yet, in every facet of the divine character, he cannot change. In his holiness, he cannot change. In his mercy, he cannot change. In his justice, he cannot change. In his love, he cannot change. Somebody said, well, I'll tell you, I, I believe God loves me more now than he did before with the way I was living. No, he loves you the same because he cannot change in his right. being. Right. He has never loved you more than he loves you. And he has never loved you less than he loves you. Amen. There's no mutation in his being, no alteration in his character. And so he said, I am the Lord and I change not. I'm unchanging in my awesomeness as Jehovah. I'm unchanging in my attributes. I've mentioned his attributes in his divine character. Let me add his attributes in the divine Christ. Never waver. Some have the idea that when Christ, God in Christ was made flesh, that God changed. No. God never changed. He just assumed a body for his spirit being. 
and he was made flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, yes, as when Jesus became flesh, he became what he never had been previously. God in flesh. But he did not become less than he had always been as God. Jesus was not 100% man and 50% God. But he was 100% man and 100% God. So in Christ, his attributes have never changed. He's just as just in Christ and as holy in Christ and as gracious and loving and merciful in Christ as he has been in ages gone by before he was made flesh. As Charles Spurgeon put it, his essence did not undergo any change. When it was united with manhood. Oh, he's just as much God in that little uh, manger. In that little feeding trough. As he had been in eternity. And as he walked the shores of the Galilee. He was just as much God. As he had always been God. And so... This promise for changing times reminds us that God is unchanging in his awesomeness. He said, I am the Lord. And he is unchanging in his attributes. I change not. There's a third truth that has warmed my heart as I've meditated upon this promise today. And that is God is unchanging in his announcements, or if you prefer, his declarations. His word never changes. Because the author of the word never changes. And here, this is a declaration. This statement, this promise is a word from God. And uh, though it is about God's unchanging Nature and being, it is an unchanging announcement. It in itself has no variation to it. No fluctuation. It was spoken approximately 350 to 375 B.C. But here in the year 2005, uh, 2005 A.D., I tell you, it has just as much impact and just as much illuminating power as it did when it was first given. Because God's word cannot change. Amen. Now, is it Simon Peter said, he said, we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, if God's promises, if his announcements are unchanging, just as unchanging as his being, then I must magnify his word is truth. It is only error that needs to be 
changed, ramified, and uh, on. Truth is absolute. Truth is the straight edge that goes down beside the crooked lines of men. Truth never changes. Therefore, if God's word is unchanging, then it is true. Absolute truth. From Genesis to Revelation, this is not what could be or what might be, but this is the word of God. The unchanging truth. And let me go a step farther. If God is unchanging, And his word is thus unchanging. His announcements. Not only is his word true. But his word is trustworthy. Step out on this firm foundation. It's believable. Uh, It can can be uh, trusted and relied upon. You can have confidence in what God said. Well, let me take just a moment with this. I'm aware. I, I mean, I, I know that I'm a mountain boy. But I, I'm aware. I'm aware that there are different time frames and different eras of human history. And I'm aware that because of that, Many in our day say the Bible is not valid for this modern high-tech age. But if God has not changed, and his truth is as immutable as his person, then his word is valid and trustworthy in the hour in which you and I live. Of course, there are others who say, well... You know, you can't just take it all for yourself. There's some of it for the Jews and some of it for the Gentiles. And there's some of it for Bible times and there's some of it that is prophecy or for a later time. Well, I understand that as well. But if the Bible says that the blessings of the Lord will cause the desert to blossom like a rose, I don't have to just put that out in the future. I can trust him to let my deserts bloom and blossom. You can trust him to send waters that will bring the desert to life in your world. Ah, this is God's word. And it's trustworthy. Believe. Mama, I wish you could believe it tonight for that boy. Daddy, I wish you could believe it for that daughter. Papa, Mama, I wish you could believe it for those grandchildren. It's the truth of God. You can trust what God says. I was in a meeting years ago in Florida. And in one of the services, the breath of God intervened and 
People came to the altar weeping and repenting, and then that broke out into a testimony service. And I never did preach. God just so erupted our plans that night that we worshiped together in repentance and in testimony. I'll never forget one of the illiterate people in the church. She could hardly read her name. But she loved Jesus with all her heart. And she loved the Bible and tried to read it. And she had learned a little song. And when that service reached that high altitude of worship, without even asking, without anybody expecting, that little woman broke out singing. Every promise in the book is mine. Every word, every phrase, every line. All are promises from God divine. Every promise in the book is mine. It seemed to me like it erupted even a little higher after that testimony. Ah. God is unchanging in his awesomeness. I am the Lord. He is unchanging in his attributes. I change not. He is unchanging in his announcements. This is God declaring truth. Trustworthy truth to his people. Notice with me fourthly. He said therefore. Ye sons of Jacob. This is an interchanging term for his people in the Old Testament. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob, my people, are not consumed. Now, what is God referring to here? Because I change not, because I am Jehovah. You are you as my people are not consumed. I think it is a direct reference to his covenant promise to his people. He said to Abraham, I will bless you and make thy name great, and I will, will bless thy seed, and it shall be as multiple as the stars of the sky. And as the sand of the seashore was God's unconditional promise to his people. Now in changing times, they are seemingly trying to recover. But there's so much hypocrisy and so much shallowness in their worship that God rebukes them. Yet he says... I cannot forget my covenant. Therefore you'll not be consumed, O ye sons of Jacob. I promised your father Abraham. I gave him my allegiance. I swore by myself, for there is none greater. And I will not consume the sons of Jacob. Oh, I want to call this God is unchanging in his arrangements, in his covenant promises and purposes. Uh, You see, 
we, when things happen in our lives, we see it as a change of events. But God sees it as the unraveling of his eternal purpose. God never says, well, I wasn't expecting that. No, all things work together for good. To them who love God, and listen, to them who are the called according to what? His purpose. God's purpose is unalterable. Somebody said, well, I tell you, the devil's really attacking. The devil's really thwarting God's people. and The devil's really on the assault. So, He's always been on the assault since his plunge. But that doesn't change God's purposes. God's purposes are not in jeopardy. He settled his purposes before the mud seals of this world was ever laid. And God is faithful. That's the idea here. I'm faithful to my covenant children and you'll not be concerned even though there's been some changes in your approach to me and some changes in the era the times in which you live I have not changed my covenant purposes have not varied I am the same I think as well it not only magnifies his faithfulness but his favor towards his people. Now we we must be sure. We must be sure. That God will judge the ungodly. He will execute his wrath upon them that know not God. But he is a God of grace to his people said there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I do not believe that that means that God cannot deal with us in some chastening way. Certainly a father chastens his children and God chastens those whom he loves, the Bible tells us. However, ultimate terror Final judgment is not our portion as God's people. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. And is already under condemnation. He's condemned. Already the mind tells. So the arrangements of God are unchanged. Somebody said, well, preacher, what if somebody gets saved? Won't that change God's attitude towards them? No, he already knew all about that before the world began. He chose us in Christ. We may not have realized it, but he did. And he was gracious to us in worlds, in that silent world of eternity. 
There's one other word that I want to magnify tonight that I think sort of establishes what I have had in my heart in these moments. This great promise for changing times points us to the unchangeableness of God in His awesomeness. He is the Lord, the self-existent Somebody said, well, where did God come from? He didn't come from. He always has been. And that hasn't changed. Who he is has not changed. He is unchanging in his awesomeness. He is unchanging in his attributes. Who he is and how he deals with men. He is unchanging in his announcements, in his word, in his declarations, his proclamations. Fourthly, I pointed out he is unchanging in his arrangements. God is not going to say, oops, I can't keep blessing that person because of their failures. No, he'll deal with that. But his favor is never turned away from his own. Amen. Lastly, this sums it up to me. God is unchanging in his authority. Uh, you'll, you'll notice that they didn't even ask who he was. But he told them anyhow. How could he do that? Because he is unchanging in his authority. I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. They didn't ask for this revelation. They did not pray for this revelation. But God in his authority. Revealed himself in his immutability. I'm unchanging. Shows us that he is God in every age, in every sense, in every circumstance. A promise for changing times. A promise about an unchanging God. I wish somebody here tonight would embrace this truth. I grew up in the town in which my wife and I and our family lived. Saluda, North Carolina. Not Saluda, South Carolina. Saluda, North Carolina. We're situated up on top of the mountain en route to Asheville near Hendersonville. And uh, I went to Saluda Grammar School and went to Saluda High School. Now there's no high school. And the old grammar school building has long been torn down and replaced with a more modern facility. And the parking lot where they used to park the buses has all been changed. Now they park the buses up on another level. And even the playground. Is situated differently than it was when I was a boy. The ball field doesn't even look the same to me. 
Because you know, the older you get, the smaller things are. I remember when I first started traveling, I would go into a church and it seemed so gigantic. Now I go back to that same church and I think, what was so gigantic about this? Uh, the same is true about life in general. Things that used to be mountains to us now are not bigger than molehills. Things that used to upset us, we say now to our children, ah, oh, don't get excited, it'll all work out. And the ball field seems so much smaller there on, on the school property. I tried all my life to hit a ball into the road over left field. Now it looks to me like I could hit a softball out into the road. It just doesn't look as big. Some time ago, my wife and our girls and myself, we were taking a little walk one evening. We decided to walk over to the school, which is about a mile from our house. And we were telling the girls how it used to be. My wife said, right, the water fountain used to be right there. And I told them, and right there used to be a big coal pile where Mr. Ernest Brock would shovel coal into the steam room. And the old radiator heat would be fueled by that coal. We talked to them about everything. And then we walked down a little further on the property and I said, you see that big rock right there? That's the rock that I used to slide down on and Nanny, that's my mother, their grandmother, would threaten me with an inch of my life. You better not come home with your pants slick again. You're sliding off that rock. We paid money for your clothes, and you better not slide off the side of that rock. As we walked away from that rock, I couldn't help but think, everything about the school's changed. But that rock hadn't changed. It was still a monument on the hillside to me. There's a lot of bushes and undergrowth around it now. We kept them beaten back in those days. But I want to say, beloved, life has a way of changing. The playground doesn't look the same at times. The parking area doesn't look the same. Sometimes the buildings in life's experiences seem to have to be torn down and replaced. Even the playing field may not seem to be the same. I want to tell you the rock of ages has not changed. God our rock says, I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not concerned. Ah, uh, you see why I would call it a promise for changing times. Oh, that we might look to the rock. God would lead us to the rock that is higher than I. Standing with me, please. You've been so kind. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.